talking donkey. That's got to be one of my favorite Bible stories. I've, I've often wondered about that, and you think about uh, the, the, fa- the fact that, you know, this isn't just a, a fable. This was an actual story that took place of a talking donkey, and that was part of what inspired C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia to have talking animals. And so the Bible says that we can, beyond what we can ask or imagine, will be what heaven will be like. So maybe there will be talking animals. Who knows? And I, and I think, you know, let your imagination go wild. But God is capable. He is able. And uh, it, it's incredible to see what he can use, even a donkey, to achieve his will. That's incredible. Uh, one thing that was uh, uh, brought to my attention that I'd uh, forgotten to mention earlier, mentioned earlier is that we need to stay in prayer for uh, Frank and Marge Peters as uh, uh, Marge is transitioning to uh, uh, life in Lakeview. And so let's remember to keep them in prayer as there's some, some challenges involved with that. So let's remember to uphold them in prayer as well uh, as that is taking place. Now today we are continuing our study in the chapter that many consider to be the greatest in the entire Bible. There's an old German commentator named Philip Jacob Spenner who said that if the Bible was a ring and the book of Romans was its precious stone, then Romans chapter 8 would be the sparkling point of the jewel. Now I agree with Spenner. This is one of the most fantastic, beautiful chapters in all of Scripture. For its profound truths in its some 39 verses, you can read them and reread them, study them and restudy them for an entire lifetime, and you will never exhaust them. Now, last week we rejoiced together with Paul that because of God's amazing grace, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, none whatsoever. Now this week we're going to continue on through verses 5 to 17 as we will now see the implications and the outworking of God's spirit in the ongoing sanctification of the believer. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you that all of it is precious. All of it is truth for our lives. And yet, Lord, there are certain passages that you have put so much beauty and and profound implications for us, Lord, that we can't help but stop and marvel at what you've presented to us. And this is one of those passages, Lord, as we continue to dive into it. And so, Father, we thank you for this beautiful word. We pray that by your spirit, as we consider the work of your spirit in our lives, you would illuminate the reality of your work more and more, and that we would have truly your mind within us. And so, Father, as we have also just mentioned, we we want to remember to lift up Frank and Marge Peters to you, Lord, in this time of transition. Be with the entire Peters family, Lord, as they uh, work through some of the challenges um, surrounding this. And we just pray, Lord, that you would provide for them and that you would allow uh, there to be um, a good uh, transition. Uh, And so we pray for that outcome, Lord, and be with them. And so now, Lord, we continue to pray. Be with us as we open your word. Speak through me, your servant. May the words be yours, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you have your Bibles, please turn there again with me to Romans chapter 8. Reuben already read it for us earlier, but let's uh, refresh our memories by reading verses 5 to 8. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, 
But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. This leads us to our very first point that I would like to draw for your attention from this text. Our minds can be controlled by one of two things. In fact, there are only two things which will control our minds. It is either the flesh or the spirit. Paul boils down and takes away all other options. He says, our lives, our minds are controlled by one of two things, either the flesh or the spirit. Mind control. Now, we've all seen movies that involved, you know, some form of mind control, manipulation, brainwashing, all those sorts of things. But when it comes down to mind control, there are really only these two options, the flesh or the spirit. The famous country singer Johnny Cash He's one of my favorites, in fact, really the only country singer that I actually like. And uh, he had an album uh, quite a number of years ago called American Recordings. Now, on the cover of this album, American Recordings, is a picture of Johnny Cash standing there in the middle with his guitar like normal. But on either side of him are two dogs. The one dog is a mostly black dog with a little white stripe. The other dog is a mostly white dog with a little black stripe. Now, Johnny Cash was once asked if the two dogs meant something to him. And this was his reply. He said, their names are Sin and Redemption. Sin is the black one with the little white stripe. Redemption is the white one with the little black stripe. That's kind of the theme of that album, and for me too. When I was really bad, I was not all bad. When I was trying to be good, I could never be all good. There would be that black streak going through. Now, you see, all people live their life with either one of these two mindsets. Either, like the mostly black dog, they live in the old mindset governed by the sinful flesh. Or, like the mostly white dog, they live in the new mindset governed by the spirit. And these two mindsets are diametrically opposed to each other. In fact, they're they're headed in completely opposite directions. For the mindset that is governed, dominated, and controlled by the sinful flesh is on the broad road which Jesus spoke of. That broad road that's the easy road that leads to destruction. And he says there will be many that travel it. Whereas the mindset that is governed and controlled by the desires and activities of the Holy Spirit is on the narrow road which leads to eternal life. But Jesus said only a few will find it. Now the Bible teaches that at the very moment that we receive God's gift of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, at that very moment the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. And he comes into our lives not just to visit, Not just to show up at that moment of salvation and say, okay, I'm going to clean you up and leave. No, he comes to abide forever. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. 
Just think about this. If you are in Christ, then your body, your physical body, is a living temple of the living God. Your physical body is a living temple to the living God. So when you look in the mirror, regardless of what you see looking back at you, whether you like that reflection or don't like that reflection, whether you think that reflection's maybe got a few too many wrinkles or, you know, you don't quite like the shape of your nose or something else, whatever you think of that reflection, it doesn't matter because that reflection looking back at you, if you are in Christ, you are looking at a temple of God the holy, holy, holy Lord God of heaven and earth. Isn't that incredible? And the implication of this, if in fact you truly believe this, what God's word has just told us, that we are temples of the Holy Spirit, that the living God is living within us, if you truly believe that, then shouldn't that stir up in us a deep desire that we would honor God with these temples? That's what Paul is getting at. He says, don't you know? Your bodies are temples, therefore honor God with your body. And if we truly believe that we have been so honored that God would inhabit us, that should truly stir up a deep desire to follow him, to honor him in every possible way. Now, returning to Johnny Cash's two dogs, sin and redemption for a moment. There's another little wrinkle to that story, or to that illustration, that Cash was making. And the keen observation was this, that even back when he was traveling that broad road to destruction, there was still a small part of him that wanted to do good. And he recognized that. There was still something in him that said, I don't want to be all bad, I want to do good. But he was incapable of it. And equally, he points out that after coming to redemption through Christ and now walking the straight and narrow road of life with Christ, he recognizes that there's still a small part of him, that little black streak that still wants to do what's wrong, that wants to be bad. And this takes us, of course, back to Romans 7, and we've already covered that ground, in the struggle between the spirit and the flesh in the life of the believer. In this sanctification, there's still that tug of war between the spirit and the flesh. Now, of course, flesh is a term that Paul uses and the Bible uses throughout as a shorthand term to cover basically all sin and all desires to sin. So it's a broad term. It's used so often we can kind of almost forget about what it's getting at. And so I found this acrostic that I found quite helpful to just kind of solidify what flesh is that that Paul is referring to. So the acrostic is following the word flesh, F-L-E-S-H. So if you write that down in your notes... F-L-E-S-H in, in a, uh, from top to bottom. Here are the words that go beside it, the acrostic. The acrostic reads F, following. L, long. E, established. S, sinful. H, habits. So following, long, established, sinful habits. That's the flesh. Following, long, established, sinful habits. You see... Our flesh is not the new kid on the block. In fact, our flesh has been with us since birth, right? The Bible tells us that we were born under Adam, our federal head. We were born in sin. Therefore, we were born in the flesh. And so it's been with us for a very long time. And so we've had this long-established relationship 
where these sinful habits and patterns have been ingrained in our lives. And these long-established sinful habits need to be rooted out and broken off one by one. And it is only the Spirit who can enable and empower us to do this. However, make no mistake that defeating our flesh is still going to be a fight. So which one is going to win? The spirit or the flesh? Which one will come out on top? Paul makes it clear that we can't have it both ways. For in verse 6 he states, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So which one is going to win the battle? Which one is going to control our minds? There's a well-known story of a Native American Christian who went to a missionary for counsel. He was very troubled, you see, about this spiritual conflict that was raging within his heart. He wanted to do what God wanted him to do. He wanted to be obedient. But he found himself frequently being disobedient and rebelling against what God wanted for him. And so he found that this struggle just could not be resolved within him. And so he went to the missionary. What should I do? And he continued to describe this conflict within him as a fight between two dogs. And he said to the missionary, It's as though I have a black dog and a white dog inside me fighting each other constantly. The black dog, he explained, represented evil and the white dog represented good. The missionary asked him, well, which dog wins the fight? And after several moments of silence, the native said, the dog that wins is the dog I feed, and the dog that loses is the one I starve. The dog that wins is the dog I feed, and the dog that loses is the one I starve. You see, God has given us a free will. God has given us a free will, and we see that way back in the beginning, Adam and Eve, though they were perfect, God had still given them a free will to make free choices. And even though now his spirit lives within us, we are temples of the Holy Spirit, and, and thereby God, who is all-powerful, living within us, he could very easily, it would be no effort at all on God's part, to simply control us in such a way that we would have no choice. To make it that we would just always be obedient from this point forward. How hard would that be for God's spirit to do? I would suggest to you it wouldn't be hard at all. It would be as easy as anything else that God can easily do. Nothing is difficult for him. So if he wanted to make me always obedient, he could easily do that. And yet, he chooses not to. God has still chosen, just like with Adam and Eve, not to violate our free will. He won't do it. He wants us to choose him every time. And he gives that choice to us. So at every decision, God allows us to decide which dog are we going to feed. Yes, the Spirit will, of course, always seek to guide us and prompt us in the right direction, to the correct choice. But the final decision, he always leaves up to us every single time. In Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, we read this. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now, whether or not a Christian lives a consistent, spirit-filled life bearing the fruit of peace 
will be determined by the frequency with which he says yes to the leading of the Spirit and no to the temptations of the flesh. And just as repeatedly exercising your physical muscles will gradually build up your strength as you train that muscle and you build it up, so too it is with being obedient to the leading of the Spirit. The more often that we say yes to the Spirit and no to the flesh, we are building up that muscle of self-discipline and self-control, that fruit of the Spirit. And so this means not only controlling your physical actions, but also your mental actions, your mental activity, the very thoughts in your mind. Of course, this self-control and controlling our thought life is not easy, nor does it come quickly. The difficulty of learning to control our thoughts and control our minds is underscored by Lanny Basham, the 1976 Olympic gold medalist in shooting the small bore rifle. He explained in an article in Sports Illustrated, Our sport is controlled non-movement. We are shooting from 50 meters over half a football field at a bullseye three quarters of the size of a dime. If the angle of error at the point of the barrel is more than 0.005 of a millimeter, that is five one thousandth, you will drop into the next circle and you will lose a point, which can be the difference between first place and second place. If you've learned how to make everything stop, I stop my breathing, I stop my digestion by not eating for 12 hours before the competition. I also train by running to keep my pulse around 60, so I have a full second between heartbeats. You do all of this, and now you have technical control. That's about 20% of the problem. Then you have the other 80% of the problem, and that is focusing your mind. So you see how he broke it down? All of that first part, he says, that's about 20% of it. 80% is mind control, focus, laser focus. You see, the primary spiritual battleground upon which the fight of faith takes place is not outside of us, it's inside of us, it's within our very minds. And that requires focus every single day. Because, of, of course, our enemy, the devil, he knows that if he can control what we think about, then eventually our minds will become corrupted to a point where inevitably we will begin acting according to our thoughts, right? Our our actions don't just spring out of nowhere. Our actions come from the thoughts that we tend to think about. And so the devil knows this. And so he knows that if he can plant thoughts in our minds that, that we will just begin to hold on to and dwell on and think about, the more likely we are to eventually, inevitably, give in and gratify the desires of the flesh. And we go back to following long-established sinful habits. And then it's always the same old story, right? The flesh always promises us instant gratification. Oh, just give in this one time and you'll feel good and it'll all be over. It's always the same, always the same. So predictable. The temptations in my life are so utterly predictable, it makes me mad. And yet, they still keep getting to me sometimes where that flesh and I think oh there you are again and I know exactly how you're going to tempt me and yet if I'm not ready my focus slips and I can stumble in that moment 
Because we know in the end, the flesh, whatever it promises you, is always, always a complete and utter lie. Always. Because it comes from the father of lies. He's a liar from the beginning. And what does it leave us with? It promises us gratification. It promises us satisfaction. But instead, it always leaves us with self-loathing, anger, fear, anxiety, shame, and guilt. That's what the flesh always leaves us with. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So for either good or bad, our thoughts define us. Our thoughts define us. Which is why it is so vitally important that we win the battle of our minds. So this brings the second question for our second point this morning. There's the two battlegrounds, the two mind controls, the the flesh or the spirit. So how do we win this battle that we can be controlled not by the flesh, but by the spirit? Well, Romans chapter 8 verse 9 tells us, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit. In Galatians 5, 16 and 17, Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. And so you see, the answer is that day by day, and decision by decision, and yes, thought by thought, we say no to the flesh, and yes to the Spirit, as we yield control to Him. Notice what Paul says, walk by the Spirit. This this indicates a certain type of action, a mental activity that we're saying moment by moment, Spirit, I'm going to walk with you. And flesh, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. And so it's, it's a cultivated behavior of walking with the Spirit, saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And the more that we say yes, and the more that we say no to the flesh, we will be walking in tune with the Spirit, and therefore controlled by Him. Now, of course, I can stand up here and preach this and say that, but we all know that at some point today, we're going to go back home, and at some point today, or inevitably this week, if it doesn't happen today, I guarantee you it's going to happen on Monday. (laughs) You can come back and be like, Danny, it didn't happen. Well, it'll happen Tuesday, right? And what's going to happen? Out of nowhere, your old sinful flesh will rear its ugly head, and it'll happen often just out of the blue. Sometimes even when you're in the midst of a good, wholesome, healthy activity. And it'll rear its ugly head and it will tempt you with some long-established sinful habit. One that you've fallen for many times before. It could be a, a something in your thought life. It could be some, some other type of sin. And it's going to tempt you. And how are you going to win when that moment inevitably comes? How are you going to win? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, Paul gives us a very practical instruction. Listen to what he says. We demolish arguments and every pretension that set itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient unto Christ. We take captive every thought to make it obedient unto Christ. Every thought we take captive. A a good friend of mine from Bible college, uh, he's a pastor now, uh, my, my buddy Aaron. And way back in Bible college, he shared with me this story of how he grew up in the rough mining town of Creighton, Saskatchewan, which, which of course neighbors Flin Flon. And there growing up in Creighton, Saskatchewan, 
One day, it was, it was after work, his dad was home, all the family was home for supper, and, and they were just hanging out, getting ready for supper, when suddenly, standing right in the middle of their living room was a complete stranger, completely filthy and reeking of alcohol. And this intruder that just seemed to materialize out of nowhere is standing there, right in their living room, and he has this wild look in his eye, and he was holding something in his hand that could have been a weapon. Well, my friend's dad was sitting in his recliner in the living room, and he's just staring up at this intruder who has so unexpectedly and suddenly posed a very real and imminent threat to his family. Well, my friend who was standing there, and and he had just walked in from the other room, and he's standing there staring at this guy. He doesn't know what to do. He's just surprised that he's standing there. He couldn't believe what happened next, because what happened was his dad, he said, moved so fast that he had never seen him move that fast in his entire life before or since. He didn't even know he was capable of it. And just in a flash, he had jumped up out of his recliner and in one motion had barreled into the intruder, knocking him back through the doorway and outside onto the front step. Then the whole family ran to the window and watched in awe as their dad continued to bodily toss and kick this intruder across the lawn and down the street before finally coming back and calling the police. (laughs) Now, the way that my friend's dad responded to that intruder, the way that he so instantly and viscerally was like, I'm just not going to take any chances that this guy's going to harm my family. I am going to do whatever it takes to get this guy out of here and make sure my family is safe. Well, that instant reaction is the same sort of immediate instant reaction that we need to have towards those sinful thoughts that invade our minds without warning. For though we can't stop every bad thought or idea from entering our minds, we just can't. They will inevitably come. We can't stop that. However, we do not have to give those thoughts a warm welcome. We don't have to say, oh, you're a wrong sinful thought. How about you sit down at the table and have supper and let's talk about it? You know what, I, I, I'm not sure where, where you know, I'm going to go with this, so how about you hang out for the evening, we'll visit, you can stay in the guest bedroom, and, and then we'll, we'll talk further from there. No, we don't have to act that way. When sinful thoughts enter our minds, we need to treat it like we would a dangerous intruder who broke into our homes. We need to kick them out ASAP. Now at first glance, this sort of visceral reaction to these thoughts may not seem like a very Christ-like approach. But I want to give you an example from Christ himself. In Matthew chapter 16, we read the account of how Jesus began telling his disciples plainly that he must suffer and die and rise again. And Peter, who's not thinking in line with the Spirit, he's thinking in line with the flesh, he hears this and he rebukes Jesus. And he says to him, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Now, there are a whole variety of more gentle ways that we might expect Jesus to correct Peter's wrong thinking. But how Jesus replies to Peter is utterly shocking. Because he looks at Peter, and I'm sure he looked him straight in the eye, and he says to him, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Get behind me, Satan. This is Peter he's talking to. You see, Jesus knew that every single human argument, pretension, and stray thought that crosses our minds, which are contrary to God, 
he knows that behind them is Satan. If they are not of God, they are of Satan. So he says to even good old Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Jesus wasn't going to have a debate about this. He wasn't going to argue with this thought. He knew this had no place in his life nor in the life of his disciples. He rebuked it in the harshest possible terms. Viscerally, immediately, aggressively, he confronted it. And it's the same for us, Paul says, take captive every thought to make it obedient unto Christ. Jumping ahead to Romans 8.13, Paul states, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you will put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Dr. Charles Ryrie has called this verse, verse 13, the most important verse on the spiritual life. Because some translations use the word put to death as mortify, which literally means to kill or slaughter. So this verse is saying to slaughter the misdeeds of the body, slaughter sin. John Owen challenges the believer to be killing sin or sin will be killing you. This isn't, this isn't a game where, where, you know, to be passive about it. The Bible is in most visceral, strong terms saying, confront it, address it, don't let it linger. Elsewhere, the Bible says, do not give the devil a foothold. That's what this is referring to. The foothold is in our minds as we entertain thoughts that are not of God. We need to root them out. We need to take them captive. And when we put this into practice, day by day and battle by battle, and yes, thought by thought, as we learn to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit, then there are three incredible rewards which Paul highlights will be ours because of the spirit who is in control of our minds. Verse 6, we've already read it, but here's the first reward that Paul highlights. The mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. This means an abiding contentment, a sense of security, inner calm, assurance that past sins are forgiven, that present events, no matter how painful, are being used by God for our ultimate good, and that nothing that might occur in the future will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is ours in Christ Jesus. And and this abiding peace sets our hearts free from fear, from crippling anxiety and despair. In verse 15, Paul writes further, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. That is not the spirit God gave us. He did not give us a spirit that makes us a slave again to fear. Isaiah 26 verse 3 agrees, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on you. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on you. Not just adequate peace, not just kind of sort of peace. He says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on you. Not just whose mind thinks about you occasionally, right? Whose mind is fixed on you. This talks about an ongoing, sustained way of thinking that our minds are fixed on God and as they are, The Spirit is guarding our hearts, giving us life and peace that surpasses all understanding. This is the promise of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but in the year that we've just been through, you know, it's synonymous, it's going to go down in history. Well, it ain't no 2020. 
It's a tough year, but it ain't no 2020, right? The year we've just been through, and 2021, well, maybe it'll be the the new one that will trump 2020, because it's not over yet, right? We're still living in turbulent times, and they're still swirling around us. But this reward from the spirit of life and peace, it's exactly what I need. And I suspect that it's exactly what you need as well. We all need peace that surpasses all understanding. And it's ours in the Spirit. Reward number two. The Spirit brings us resurrection power. Verse 11. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Now, it was the Holy Spirit who was the agent and power of Christ's bodily resurrection from the dead. So just as the Spirit lifted Jesus up out of the grave and restored him to physical life in his mortal body, that it became immortal, so too the same Spirit who dwells in the believer, as we've already talked about, that's you and I, the temple of God, that same Spirit gives us the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, to now live for God and with God now and forever. You see, the ultimate destination of these physical bodies is not death and decay in the ground, though there is a good chance that that is is yet before each one of us, if the Lord tarries, unless he comes back first. But if the Lord tarries and we say, I'm going to end up in a coffin in the ground and my body is going to decay, is that my ultimate destiny? And praise God, the the word tells us that is not our ultimate destiny. Resurrection is our destiny. Our physical bodies, though they might decay in the ground, will be restored and resurrected with new glorious bodies, just as it was for the Lord Jesus. He is the template, the first fruit of the resurrection from the dead, but we who are in Christ will certainly be resurrected in the same way. Why? Because the same spirit who rose Jesus from the dead is in us a guarantee, a deposit of what is to come. So if you have any doubt about your coming resurrection, if you feel the whisper of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is in your life, you know that you know that you are in Christ. Hallelujah. You can take it to the bank. You will be resurrected. And that power is already at work within you right now to say yes to the Spirit and no to the flesh. Don't ever think, oh, I can't do it. It's too hard. Yeah, you, for you, it's too hard. You can't do it. But in the spirit, nothing is too hard. Nothing is impossible. You can and you will have victory because the spirit of God is living within you. We do not wait for the spirit. He already lives in our hearts through faith and therefore his power is available to sanctify us. And he will present us gloriously unblemished without spot before the throne one day. And now the third and final reward I'll highlight for you from this passage is this. Adoption and sonship. Adoption and sonship. Verses 14 to 16. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves again to fear. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Now you see, the deepest, the deepest longing, the deepest need of every single heart, I don't care who you are, the deepest need is the same. That need is to belong. 
We all desire to belong. There's a true story that made national headlines in 2013 about a young man named Davian Only. Davian was a 15-year-old boy who had grown up in the foster care system his entire life. And he had pretty much come to a place of resolve where he said, I'm ready to be adopted no matter what. I need to belong to someone, and I've got to do something about it. And so, between Davian and his caseworker, they came up with a great idea. They would go to a church and ask if he could go to the microphone at the end of the service and tell them what he wanted. So at a church in Florida, Davian got up at the end of the service, they gave him the mic, and here's what he said. Hello, my name is Davian Only, and I have been in foster care since I was born. I know God hasn't given up on me, so I'm not giving up on me either. I want to be adopted. I don't care if you're young or old. I don't care if you're just a dad or just a mom. If you're black, if you're white, if you're purple. I don't care. I want to be adopted. I just want people to love me for who I am, to grab me and to keep me in their house and love me no matter what. His five-minute plea left everyone in tears. A reporter soon picked up Davian's story, and in just a few months' time, there were over 10,000 inquiries around America and even around the world wondering about adopting him. What's perhaps most interesting, however, after all of that initial buzz faded away, in the end, guess who adopted Damien? It was his caseworker, the one who helped him come up with the plan in the first place. Her name's Connie Going. She'd known him since, she was age, since he was age seven. And she said she didn't even realize that over those years she'd begun to think of him as her own son, and she finally made it official. At the court hearing where the adoption was formalized, Connie looked at Davian, then looked down and glanced at the few words he had written in his journal that he always carried with him. And this is what he had wrote for that day's entry. Today I was finally adopted. I belong. Isn't that what we all want? Isn't that what we all need to belong? You see, like Davian, we all desire that. We were made for it. Why? Because our Heavenly Father has made us for Himself. God has made us to belong to Him forever. It's not by chance that we have this desire. God planted it in our hearts. For our hearts, as Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. And so, it is for God and to God that Paul says, our spirits cry out, Abba, which means, Papa, Daddy, Father, I need you. I need you. And God's gracious reply from his Father's heart to each and every one of us who cries out to him is to wrap us up in those arms of love and grace and declare, my child, you are mine. You are mine. And most certainly, my friends, to be a dearly loved child of God, to belong to the Creator as our Heavenly Father, it is truly the greatest reward of all. And it is the reward that we will bask in and worship him for in all of eternity to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again and again 
that you desire that we would belong to you. And you have set that desire in our hearts as a, as a homing beacon of sorts, calling us to say, come to me, my child. Come to the way that I have provided for you to come home. And it is only through my son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, for everyone here today who has taken this step, I pray that right now, Lord, we would never forget this tremendous reward and privilege we have been given, that by your Spirit, our spirits agree that you are our Father, that we are your children, and that we belong to you. And that now, Father, this same Spirit that has brought this about, he is in us to not only guide us, but to empower us to control our lives and thoughts in such a way that we would bring honor and glory to you, that we could say no to the old flesh and yes to the Spirit day by day, moment by moment, and yes, thought by thought. And so in all of this, Lord, we dedicate ourselves again to you. Use our bodies, use our minds, use our very thoughts, the words of our mouths, our actions to glorify you. And that, Lord, through all of this, refine us, sanctify us, so that we would stand faultless before your presence one day with great joy, knowing that you have done it all, and we will glorify you forever. We pray all of these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.